Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The Torah passage called uh, Vayera, which covers Genesis chapters 18 through 22. We saw the passage there in 2 Kings chapter 4, and also the passage there in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, including the famous verse there in John 3.16, which you've seen that verse on... Baseball games, people's faces, they're at the end zones of football games, it's all over the place. Now, one of the interesting things you might say, well, what on earth does this have to do, that passage have anything to do with what we were reading about earlier there in Genesis or the passage that we saw there in Second Kings? Now, and one thing that when you go through the passage like we saw in Vadera, you may fixate on one of the most you could say disturbing pictures that you have in there, and that is the destruction of the Sodom Gomorrah metropolitan area. And you know, the this painting here is depicting the fire and brimstone coming down and destroying those particular cities. And you see the Lot and his two daughters, they're running away, and you see off in the background Lot's wife as the pillar of salt looking back. Now, you could take a look at this image and say fixate on this as being, that is just shocking that you would have heaven do that to a whole big group of people. But at the other end of the spectrum of what we're looking at today is this picture. And we look at this picture of a boy jumping happily into the arms of his father from off of a rock. And you're saying, well, that, that's just wonderful. And when we think about the picture of trust, how much more trust is this? A little kid jumping off of a rock, expecting that what? His father is going to catch him. His father's going to catch him, and that this is no big deal. He can just leap off of a rock, and his father is going to catch him. Now, the interesting thing is, is that in what you see in these two extremes, something that you see unbelievably um, violent action against the people of Sodom Gomorrah, and then the other extreme of a trust that a child has for his father to just leap off and expect to be caught, is the spectrum of what you're looking at here and even encapsulated in the passage we saw there in John chapter 3, John 3.16, these things together. Now, some of the high points of what we're looking at here today in this, the title of this, Vayera, comes from one of the first words in Hebrew of this particular passage, and he appeared, which actually describes it because the creator of heaven and earth is showing up all over the place in this particular passage from beginning to end. And you could say, and he appeared 
Another way you might describe this is he shows up. You know, there was a campaign going on. He, well, he gets us. Well, no, more than he gets us, he shows up. And he wants to show up. And he wants to show up and stay. And he wants to get us ready. So when he shows up and stays, that we will live in his presence. And we can live in his presence. And we want to live in his presence. So we can be like the little boy leaping off into the arms of his father. That that is our reaction that when the creator of heaven and earth shows up, rather than the reaction of Lot's wife or the people that lived in Sodom when they were visited by heaven's messengers. So you see the journey that we've seen here in the past two passages and the journey that was taking was taking um abraham from where he was there you see in in ur of the chaldee area there and he went up and the top here is up in modern day turkey and then down into you so you see a number of these roads that are crossing around from one area to the next. And you see that that area of Ur, or Ur is down here, modern-day Iraq, but then up here, this area of Haran, where they were hanging out, where Terah, his father, was, and they camped for a little bit, and they stayed, is in the area of between modern-day Turkey and Syria. You know, you hear about all the things today going on about these attacks that were going on, with the, we have thousands of our troops there right now, right here at this border between these two areas, uh, a massive area of conflict. And at this time, actually, also, because in ancient times, in the time of Abraham, this area all around here was a part of a massive empire, especially up here in Turkey, uh, called the, the Hittite Empire or the sons of Chet, you see them described as. And they, time of Aram, and he was doing deals with them, they were all stretched all the way down here. So down in Mitzrayim, they also had dealings up here in, in Canaan. And, you know, Mitzrayim pushed up this direction. The Chet, sons of Chet, pushed down from the other direction. So a lot has been going on in this area, and you know, kind of same as it ever was. So, when we look at this area and we move on further, we see where it was, where Avraham was hanging out. And it talks about that he was there in Hebron. Now, when you see where he was there in Hebron, that is kind of on the western ridge of the Dead Sea Valley. Now, if you remember your geography, this Dead Sea area is hundreds of feet below sea level hundreds of feet below sea level so here you got sea level here with the called the great sea but we call it today the mediterranean sea well this area is hundreds of feet below this <laughs> so and in between there is the hill region where Jerusalem is jerusalem and this hill area here where you got uh, mountains of a few thousand feet so 
you go up from the sea to the mountains and then down, down, down into this area of the Dead Sea Valley, this rift area. And it continues down from, from Galilee all the way down until you hit uh, modern-day Elliot, which is right at the northern end of, you say, like the Gulf of Aqaba here. And the, you got the Red Sea area here, and then you got the Gulf of Aqaba up at the bottom. So the, the southern, southeastern side of the Sinai Peninsula. So, when you see the journey that was going on here of where Avraham was and where he was hanging out and where this area was, so Avraham is hanging out around this particular area here, and lots of people have guesses and lots of people have made lots of videos about where Sodom and Gomorrah is, but the best we could tell is it's somewhere here. and. Yeah, this is one guess of where Zoar is. One guess. I mean, some people think it's maybe up here. It may be up, um, kind of in the, in the realm of, you know, modern day. Uh, so, you know, you got Jericho over here and maybe down south a little bit, kind of southeast of that area. But needless to say that from the hill region here, when it's talking about Avraham could see the smoke rising. It was like rising up over the hill down from the valley of this area. Now, you go down there today, it's a brackish wasteland of things not growing, all the salt deposits, etc., etc. But before, at this particular time period, it was prime real estate. And as you saw in our previous passage we looked at, Lot kept moving closer and closer and closer, pitched his tents toward Sodom, and then just kept moving closer in, and eventually, as we saw in this particular passage, living actually inside the city. So, that when you see, and this is greatly, this view is greatly exaggerated on the, the terrain here, but it just goes to show that this point here of Hebron and going up to Bethlehem or Bethlehem and then up off the map to the north is uh, Yerushalayim, that that's a high point of, of going up and going down. Now, that's one of the great spiritual lessons that the Bible gives us when it talks about going up to the house of the Lord. That is both geographically, you're going up in altitude and also up in spirituality. So, interestingly enough, the converse is true. He went down. So, Abraham picked an area. He gave Lot the choice. Where do you want to go? Lot picked this area here. Because what? The grass was greener in the Sodom Valley. So, he chose that area. So he descended down into this area of the, the, it's often called the Great Rift Valley, but the valley of where you have it emptying from the Jordan River, from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. What remains of it today? So that is just the picture of where Avraham was, where he had traveled from, where he went to. 
Now, if you move on further into this particular passage, we see that Avraham is literally having lunch with the Lord and is interceding with Saddam. And so one of the things that you see as a lesson from this is that the Lord does not send judgment without knowing what the actual situation is. So that is a very interesting thing that we'll take a look at a bit further here. But when you see in the final judgments and the things you see about the day of the Lord, some people might think that just like with the picture we saw earlier, uh, the painting, the rendition, the view of what was Saddam looked like when the fire and brimstone was falling down upon it. What could possibly justify that? And also, when you see in the day of the Lord, when it talks about the destruction, we could also ask that. What could possibly justify that? But note that in both cases, both in this case we see of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the day of the Lord, what happens? You see that the Lord shows up and personally observes what's going on. Yeah, not take secondhand witnesses of what is going on here. When the, it's talked about in the passage here that the cry goes up. The cry went up from Saddam. Well, the, the question, uh, yeah, we have, a, we have a comment or a, a question over here. There were people there crying out. Uh, there wasn't even ten righteous. Who was who was who was who crying was, out? Yeah, who was crying out? Uh, that's that's a that's very what I, you good know, when question. I, that, I thought so. You know, it's it's one of those sure. one of those things that you you have that who it was that uh, the Lord went to go deliver out of there. Yeah, it was the, the family. I would like to suggest that that crying out was hatred and anger towards God. Mm, that's also that's a, what a they form were crying of crying out, out about. Yeah. Because you, you see examples of what Rose is talking about also in Revelation, where it talks about the picture of the altar, and it talks about the saints, the holy ones, under the altar, and they're crying out, how long, how long are you going to let this go on? And the message to them is just rest for a little bit while. This is going to be taken care of. Or as to quote a passage from the Torah, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So rest a little bit while longer. This is going to be dealt with. Yeah, uh, yes, Ben and I, go ahead. Uh, I was, when everybody was discussing that particular passage, it, uh, something came to mind about um, the days of Noah. Yes. You know, and the thing is, is that it said at the door is that both, young and old mm -hmm. young and old so that covers all ages of the people group and so meaning that we're giving themselves over to complete depravity you know and so if you look at the days of noah it says that they were giving themselves over to every evil inclination of their imagination mm -hmm. and the lord was sorrowful that he ever created them mm -hmm. but there was noah oh but there was lot you know, I'm just, I look at that, the parallel, you know, how the lot, you know, was saved mm. and Lot's family. And then you look at how Noah and Noah's family and how he went to his son-in-laws. Mm -hmm. He said, hey guys, come on, 
like you got to get out of here and they just ah, oh, whatever he's jesting you know but it's <laughs> like you have to pay attention to that warning when god says get in the ark you better get in the ark mm. when he says leave the city you better leave the city <laughs> So that's it's no coincidence that when last week when we did the preliminary reading of Luke chapter 17, what two situations do you see talked about? Days of Noah and days of Lot. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Deborah. Also, uh, you know, um, I wasn't sure the two sisters, I think it referred to the younger sister and then the older, but um, when the angels came, uh, they came and, you know, Lot wanted to stay because I think because of all of his possessions. But then, um, you know, when he grabbed him by the hand, um, they knew that the seed, because um, I, th- I believe that Messiah came from one of the, you know, that from Lot's descendants, the Moabite. Yeah, uh, with the Mo- Moabite. Moabites. So Christ was, mm. the seed was inside. So they, you know, when they came and when he commanded him to come out, you know, God knew when he went down there that, lot, that you know, Christ was going to come through that family lineage from those yes, daughters. but how did it come through Moab? What do you mean, how did it come through? Who did it come through Moab? Ruth. Ruth, Ruth the Moabite. How right? did Ruth come into the she, family tree? She, through Naomi, she repented, and, and she, she came, your said, people are what? my people. I right. will go where you go. I think that, to me, when I was yes. reading that today, that made me think about, the Gentiles coming in, that God it made that provision. And that, to me, is a prophecy right there saying that it isn't going to just be about, there wouldn't even need Jews then, right? So this is a prophecy, a cry out to the entire nations that there will God is going to make a way. I mean, this, the, 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 the Hebrew is so interwoven. I mean, you can't even get enough studying of it. You can study it until we grow old and pass away and we still probably wouldn't even know the hebrew letters and the meanings and all of the um everything that's inside because i think we go too fast really i mean we follow a week by week but if we stayed and you know like a cow macerates four stomachs if we stayed and chewed on this we would we would be well equipped <laughs> yeah well that's actually a, an interesting topic that we might uh, broach as we get to the end of the torah cycle is uh, one of the things that's the other option is a very ancient, it actually predates the one-year cycle, and that's the three-year cycle. So that's something to explore, and thus uh, gives the opportunity of going into uh, some other passages of the prophets and also the apostolic writing. So gra- glad you brought that up. So, so one of the, the pictures that we also have of this is just of what we have prayed about during our prayer time today is that praying for mercy. You know, Danielle was talking about praying for mercy of those in the cities. That what is it going to take for them to realize that they need to turn around? When the the folk were struck with blindness at the door, it says that they were groping about. And when you see the language talking about there, they still kept at it. Even when they were blinded, they still kept at it to try to get in. Yeah, yes, Anne, and then uh, Danielle over here. Yes, um, I was thinking about Abimelech, you know, and how he's a pagan man, and yet he was able to pray, and uh, God talked to him, and, you know, there's just so many instances where, you know, you wouldn't think that the Lord is hearing him, but, you know, he listened to Abimelech because that was a deception of our, our Abraham, you know, that he 
said she's my sister halfway or whatever yeah half sister he didn't say explain that and so well, you know one of the things that's kind of working in the background is remember that guy melchizedek that uh avraham saw in the last passage he was talking to somebody so the lord was working there in that area in the background even at that particular time period even even getting through to people like as you see hundreds of years later you know Bilam, balaam getting through to him even though it was uh, kind of on uh, Bilam's buffet of spirituality but um still it was one of the options that he was at least listening to sort of another thing was about um elijah you know and and bringing back the little boy from the dead to the um, Shulamite woman there, you know, and and uh, although Abraham didn't have that, I mean, by that time, it was way past Abraham's time when Elisha came in, and, but Abraham believed God when he was going to put his son to death, you know, and uh, that other woman, she'd been promised a, a child, you know, and, and then she says to uh, Kind of fresh, I thought, you know, says to Elijah, well, you, I told you not to give me this child in the first place or whatever, and then you're going to take him from me. But Abraham didn't talk back like that, and he didn't have any of the scriptures like we have, you know, say. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the, the key questions is, is um, not at that particular time, but you could say in a sense, yes, he did. But that was over the course of time because that the passages about, you know, she's my sister is really a part of actually the talking back to that. And actually the whole thing with Lot and his daughters is a bit also of the talking back to the promise of, hey, are we, how are we going to be saved in here? It's like, hello, heaven just delivered you out of a, conflagration of the whole Sonom metro area it's all gone up in flames he delivered you out and now he's not going to allow you to have any progeny so okay we got to help him out we got to help god out here again and that's one of the things we saw with the last passage that we looked through of lech lecha that trying to help god out is fraught with the millennia of portent and we saw that with the line of ishmael which we are seeing a little bit more of that in our passage here today and continues going on here into the present day uh yes daniel uh, go ahead please um also with uh going back to lot you know how he was like oh um like why should i have to leave but it's kind of like the saying was like, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. If Lot stayed there probably like a little bit longer, slowly by slowly, he'd start to like live into their lifestyle. Because Lot was probably like, oh, I know enough about God or I'm fine. I'm not going to go into what they're doing. Uh, but when you hang around people like bad people for a long time, you're going to start acting like them. So God probably knew what he was doing by sending Lot out. Yeah or dragging him out because <laughs> that that uh, spiritual inertia ended up being quite a, a major factor for uh for lot in that particular case and and that the what was that the don't look back thing has oh, yes. a lot of significance too yes because like law was probably like oh um like 
with in life too you can leave something behind but if you keep looking bad at it you're gonna want to go back at it you're gonna look at the good in it and not the bad and that's something that you see with the exodus comes up again and again and again stop trying to go back to mitzrayim to the house of bondage again and again that's uh it's not the way you want to go anymore uh yes the ben and i your thoughts that i was thinking about is that uh you want to surround yourself with like-minded people mm. uh, and the consequence of surrounding yourself with not like-minded people uh the verse about uh how bad company corrupts good morals yes and i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was that was one of the things i struggled with in high school a whole lot because i had two groups of friends i i grew up around mormons so i had my mormon friends and then since i was a musician i had my musician friends but i wasn't smart enough to get in with the jazz band okay i tried out for jazz band and i failed so thus my stoners so mormons and stoners so that's one of the things that i was kind of torn between so i was thinking yeah and exactly it was that and one of the biggest mistakes i made in high school is i actually had to get together with both of them yes it was on my 16th birthday party yes uh, that was that was epic people are still talking about that one yes it was quite quite yes many many years later still talking about that one but the point was is that i thought i could ride that that fence and it wouldn't taint me after a while but the thing is is that i could see that the pull of one side was definitely very 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 strong extremely strong until finally i just had to make a decision like at age 18 to go enough i just gotta just push that whole stoner side and just not go that way anymore whatsoever because it's just leading me into bad places including drug dealers houses that that was not not good so yes so that was a definitely a lesson that i myself had to take in that regard is that if you are in that kind of environment and you are thinking that this is a galatians 6 1 you know you were going to go in and help someone out and be a light wow be careful so thus one of the things you saw in the passage we saw in john chapter 3 is that how does that passage end about light and darkness the in the darkness they don't like the light so when you turn that light up brighter what happens there's the old proverbial roaches when you turn the lights on yes uh, uh ben and i uh, got that and then uh alex go ahead please i uh, just reminded me that uh you know when i came to faith I, you know i had uh so many friends and people that i had known for uh for years and uh when i came to faith uh they thought that i had all uh, lost my mind <laughs> they <laughs> thought that i had gone insane yeah, they couldn't understand why that I would uh, give up all these worldly pleasures and give up all these things and, 
you know, who is this Jesus person and, you know, why is it so important to you? And, and I think out of everybody, uh, which is probably, it was a lot in the, the younger years of my life and the people that I knew is there was just one family um, who in, invited me over and they were from the Jesus movement mm. and they were always really kind to me. And they wrote, mm-hmm. they just, they were so different, but I never understood why. They never said anything. I was kind of, I was like, I'm hoping that people these days will have a little bit more strength to proclaim the good news. Uh, but what it was is that they loved the Lord. And so they wanted to talk to me about everything and prayed with me. And uh, I thought that that was really cool. I still look back on that. But uh, yeah, you have to make that decision because, you know, when you are coming out of the world, you know, there's all these uh, temptations because the entrenchments are so fresh in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, the enemy is going to be pulling on all those musical chords of pleasure in your life to try to pull you back or serenade you back into the world. And mm-hmm. you really have to make that decision. Like, do you want to go back to your vomit? You know, or do you want to press on in the Lord because he's faithful and he loves us? And right. So when you were speaking, it just reminded me about all that. Yes. Yeah. yeah and that when, when it talks about there in Romans about the fact that, you know, we are called. The call goes out, and he also gives you a, a bit of faith, a bit of trust to latch on to that call. But the point is, is that at that point, do you linger? Do you linger in your house of bondage, or do you leave? Which decision do you make? And if you linger too long, is the lesson that we're seeing today is be careful lingering too long. <laughs> Because you may be not only in the house of bondage, but in the house that is being burned up. Uh, yes, Alex, I go ahead, please. I think you've made the full transition because we eat with sinners and tax collectors like the man did. We don't preach at them because mm-hmm. we're a little better. Mormons are a little better than the plain old Protestants. They see <laughs> right through me. I'm not one of them. So uh, welcome to the real world. <laughs> Jesus's world, right? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So, uh, yes, uh, Christine. I don't want to deviate from this. This is a great discussion, but there is um, some thought that Lot might have been saved because of Abraham's righteousness. Somebody was praying for him. Somebody so was praying thus, for him. When you're when you're seeing the idea of. Um, when the call comes and you get the call, it may be someone praying very, very hard and probably likely is someone praying very, very hard for the call to come. And uh, yes, uh, Larry, you have your hand up over there. With Lot, remember what the, uh, what the angel said when they got down <laughs> there, he said, get out of here because we can't start until you get out. Yes. I remember when and Abraham was trying for, he, he chickened out at 10. But I'm pretty sure he was going after, what, five? He, because a lot in his family can't destroy the whole place for, uh, for, for five people, yeah. right? Yeah. He, but he, chicken, I see, I see, he chickened out at 10. Well, yeah, there's, there's some, some speculation that, that the 10 included some people, extended people, including the, the future sons-in-law then, and such that should have equaled 10. But, you know, they're also that 10 is a, a number that keeps showing up again and again as far as uh, judgment goes. Ten, sevens, that, which, which, brings up, which brings up the point of um, when you have 
when you have uh, a text, one of the things that it's often suggested long time to take a look at is what is it that questions that we have about the text and questions that the text wants you to have because it keeps pushing you push 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 and this example of avraham praying and asking hey mercy 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 and getting that threshold down more and more that keeps giving you and pushing you as a reader to ask a question. Is God just wanting to hit the smite button? No. No. God is not just wanting to hit the smite button. He wants to save. The thing is, is that in the background, what's coming up? The outcry is coming up. The outcry is coming up. But finally, you have to have that point that only heaven can decide is where justice and mercy meet together and as we say what is it that mercy wins out over justice but injustice you will also always have mercy uh yes carrie go ahead please um i just i saw a lot of parallels and that that kind of um abraham narrowing it down going 50 down to 10 that kind of reminded me of noah anyway and I was thinking, and I hadn't thought about it this way before, but, you know, Hashem says, if there are 10, I won't destroy the entire place. And Noah was less than 10. There were only eight. And I thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting parallel. Um, but the other things that I noticed um, is there's this barren woman thing that happens how many times in these chapters that we read today. We have Sarah past childbearing age. We have the Shunammite woman who hasn't had a kid yet. Um, Lot's daughters think that children are impossible for them. So even though their situation was different, they still had the same, it's still the same principle. Um, then when Sarah has a son, Hashem commands his death, you know, but provides a, a, a replacement. The Shunammite's son dies and has to be resurrected. Um, and then Lot's daughters... So their son's father, Moab and Ammon, which somebody else mentioned, you know, Ruth came from Moab. She basically reverses Lot's decision because Lot separated from Hashem's people and then she comes back. And I was thinking, so the woman with the two sons with the oil, Messiah means anointed one. And they had a debt that had to be paid so that her sons wouldn't be sold into slavery. And so then they had this oil, which, you know, then we've got the anointed one. And I was thinking there's kind of a parallel there, even with Lot's daughter's sons, because then we've got the Messiah coming down through their lineage because of a decision later as well. Um, and so I was just kind of thinking, like, with all of these, like, barren women, you know, or the sons are going to die. Um, it's kind of what Sodom and Gomorrah was. It was like... It, it had become a barren woman. There was no more life. It w there wasn't enough life for Hashem to even preserve the group of people anymore. I, it just seemed really thick with that to me. And, and thus, you're, you're getting back to the thing that we started out with, with the two trees, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Eventually, that tree of the knowledge of good and bad is going to do what? Fill up 
fill up the bottle, the wrath of death. That is finally going to reach its full. You know, we see that talked about many times, even with when it talks about Canaan, that that was the reason why that that judgment wasn't brought into that while Israel was down in Mitzrayim, is that, hey, their cup of iniquity has not yet hit the top and is now flowing over. At some point, the same thing is going to happen to this particular world, is that, that its cup that's been filled up of death and the ways that lead to death from the tree of knowledge of good and bad and going that direction instead of to the tree of life, that that is going to reach its full. And then that is finally going to, at heaven's time, say, okay, it's time to bring that to an end. Uh, yes, Alex, uh, go yeah, ahead, with please. With the dead end, Lot couldn't even talk the uh, young men into uh, heterosexual behavior. Yeah. No, they're hitting the dead end street. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. But, Done. Uh, end of, that's, that's a dead end street. There's yeah. no more kids. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's something that when you, when you see that whether you're talking about with Saddam or whether you're talking about in other situations, that that is often also a thing of power and uh, subjugation. You see that in captive environments like prisons, etc. That that is something that is employed not because of people's proclivities, but because of power and wanting to exercise power. Uh, yes, go ahead, Ben and I. I was thinking of in the, in the New Covenant how it talks about on the end days being deception, deception, deception. How uh, Yeshua Hamashiach, you know, kept on a warning about deception, false Christ, false prophets, and about strong delusion being poured out. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, so here you have Lot in the city, and the night before, uh, he has this, the men, young and old, come into the city, crying out. Uh, he has the two men who have come, who has, he had said, you know, my lords, he bowed down to them, so if you if you were to look in the Hebrew and about what that means, bowing down the acknowledgement of their authority and who they were and their righteousness. And so basically putting them up and then basically, you know, saying to the men of the city, don't do these things. And then also seeing that they were struck with blindness. So he and then him being pulled back by them into the house. So I want everyone to really think about the severity and the weight of what is transpiring in that moment, and then the next moment that he goes to his son-in-law, and he goes, come out, we have to go. I mean, I want people to really think about this, the seriousness of Lot, okay? The, I mean, the absolute, in his voice, his heart, I mean, the absolute pleading that must have been there, knowing life and death was, you know, what was going to happen, and the delusion of his son-in-law. He thought he was joking. I mean, think about that. The delusion, the deception. They were so twisted up. I mean, they were so deceived, so deluded that he thought he was joking. Yeah. I mean, think about, so think about this today. You go mm -hmm. out there and you're preaching Christ and you're talking about the warning and you're letting people know they have to turn from their ways and come to Yeshua HaMashiach. He's like, and they just laugh. They laugh at you. They just think that you're your joke or they mock you. I'm like, Wow, what a parallel between then and today. Yeah. And, you know, the Apostle Peter talked about that, is that people will consider it 
mocking. The old mockers will come and say, hey, you know, it's not going to end end in fire, etc. No, it's not going to end that way whatsoever. It'll just continue on as it was, as it was before the flood, when before the water just came and took them all away. So people at that point, when they talk about Noah being a preacher of righteousness, there he was building the big boat saying, it's coming. It's coming. And you know, when you, when you think about a construction project, you can start seeing when it's reaching its conclusion and you're about ready to hit the grand opening. I mean, can you even think about those people in that generation seeing the boat nearly done, being done, then starting to see the animals showing up? At what point? At what point do you start saying, oh, well, am I really understanding what's going on? At what point does this stop being a joke? We talked about last time with the Lech Lecha. It starts out with those three verses in chapter 12 of Genesis, where it, and it ends with, and those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you. And that first curse there, Kalal, is those who belittle you. I will mark for destruction. So thus, the same thing happened in Noah's generation. Those who mocked him were marked outside of the ark. Those who mocked Lot were left in the city. They were not dragged and taken out. They were left there. Uh, yes, and go ahead, please. Well, I was one of the ones that laughed when my cousin witnessed to me. But unbeknownst to him afterwards, I took heed in what he said. Mm. And I Praise went to my scripture and I thanked the Lord. So yeah. sometimes it's just that I don't know whether it's, you know, sometimes you see somebody fall and it's like, <laughs> like you laugh and mm. you really don't mean to be laughing, but it's just the circumstances all of a sudden. You know, they say it's it's a reflection of, of, I don't know, instantaneous laughter, but it's not really a happy laugh. <laughs> and so, but, so don't underestimate sometimes somebody laughing at what you have to say, yeah. but don't take it so seriously that you're, be, you know, you're belittled by the laughter because they may turn around like I did yeah. and say yes to the Lord, you know, not long afterwards. Yeah, and the ones who are holding their, the coat, so to speak, of the executioners may end up turning around and becoming some of the boldest witnesses for the kingdom of God, yes. We'll be closing things out here with just one of the, the biggest reminders from this particular passage is that in Genesis chapter 22, and when you talk about a passage that just keeps really just hitting you across the head, Ask questions about what's going on here. Genesis 22 is one of those where it just keeps hitting you with these things. His only son is one. Hits that with you twice. When it talks about my son, my father, that gets hit again and again. The one of where you hear the phrase, or here I am, 
that's some of those passages where, where have you also heard that before? About Hannah, another woman who was barren, prayed for a son, was given a son, and part of the promise that she had is that she would turn him over to the Lord. And what is the, one of the first things that you hear recorded about her son? They're in service. They're in the tabernacle. Inani, yes. And finally, you know, he is uh, instructed, the prophet Shemuel is instructed to finally, when you hear that call, to respond. Here I am. And you see that also recorded there in the prophet Isaiah. When he is then brought and gets his vision of the throne room. The vision of the throne room there in Isaiah chapter 6. The vision of the throne room. And he's like, how can I even be here in the presence of it? I am a man of unclean lips. And it talks about it brought a coal from the altar and cleansed his lips. Then he was able to speak. And what does he say? Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. And what then do we see in the next three chapters? Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. Some of the best and most poignant prophecies of the Mashiach, the one who would come. And thus, you see some of the fulfillment of what we see in Genesis 22, of that he would be sending his son, his only son. And it is then is no coincidence that you see that heaven shows up here in the, in the presence of the angel of the Lord, both in this case and in the previous chapter of meeting Hagar out there in the desert where the angel of the Lord shows up. So one of these things that you get this message that keeps coming is that in the midst of these distressing things that are going on, the Lord wants to be with us. And he is also not the absentee landlord that is caricatured. He's completely out of touch with what it is that is going on with us. Rather, it's one of those things that we see in Hebrews chapter 4, that we do not have a high priest who is, to paraphrase, totally clueless about what's going on with us. No, he is our advocate and he understands us. He understands us and he has been tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. So thus, that is our high priest that we have. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah indeed. So yes, so when we end things up, this I guess is the message of faith that we should be having is to be joyfully jumping forward as the Apostle Yaakov says, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So a smile on our face, leaping off into the arms of God. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. 
If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.